Lagrange points. Stable spots in space that you just can't stop thinking about. What spacecraft work best in which places? What are some amazing ideas that could use these regions across the solar system? In the last episode, I gave an overview of the Lagrange points and then went into the details of spacecraft missions sent to L1, the perfect place to constantly observe the sun, the earth, or to block radiation coming from the sun. The best place for a lunar elevator or a spot to put a space station at the moon. This week, we're going to talk about L2 and L3, the other meta unstable spots that you can park a spacecraft at. Back to our Sun-Earth system example. L2 is the one that's on the far side of the Earth, about 1.5 million kilometers more distant. L3 is on the opposite side of the Sun, about the same distance that the Earth orbits. I know it's backwards, but I'm going to tackle L3 first. That's because it's much easier. There's pretty much no practical use for L3 that we can think of, and spacecraft have never used it. Because it's unstable, you couldn't park another planet behind the sun and keep it permanently hidden. For two reasons. The first, as I mentioned in the previous episode, is that the third object needs to have negligible mass compared to the other objects in the system. You could have the sun, earth, and a spacecraft, but not sun, earth, and another earth. If an earth-sized planet did magically appear in the L3 Lagrange point, it would only remain there for about 150 years before the instabilities in the system, Earth's elliptical orbit, and the interactions with the other planets would cause it to drift out and eventually crash with us. Venus actually gets within 4.8 million kilometers of the Sun-Earth L3 Lagrange point every 20 months or so. Another downside to L3 is the fact that it's on the far side of the Sun, so you can never directly communicate there from Earth. Any mission in Sun-Earth L3 would need to use another spacecraft as a communications relay. Nobody's ever used the spot, but is there any practical use for it? One idea is that the far side of the Sun would be a good spot to do ongoing observations of the Sun from an angle that we can't observe here on Earth. We could watch the near side from Earth and then the far side from an L3 spacecraft and create a 3D map of the entire Sun. This was proposed in a 2009 paper titled Spacecraft Trajectories to the L3 Point of the Sun-Earth 3-Body Problem. The paper is mostly about the interesting orbital dynamics that it would take to reach this point, and not a compelling argument for why we might go. NASA's twin stereo spacecraft, currently drifting ahead and behind the Earth in orbit, already give us a view of the Sun's activity from a vantage point that we can't get here on Earth. In thrilling 3D! By 2001, they were generating complete images of the surface of the Sun. I hinted at one other idea in an episode about using a powerful laser system that could send a laser sail spacecraft to another star system. It might be difficult for the nations of the world to build a petawatt laser, which could also be aimed at the Earth. Put it on the far side of the sun, where it can never be directed our way. Just because we have five Lagrange points doesn't mean we have to use them all. Okay, on to L2, which is incredibly practical and filled with spacecraft. In fact, I don't have enough time to catalog all the missions that have been or will fly there. The Earth-Sun L2 Lagrange point is a spot located about 1.5 million kilometers past the Earth away from the Sun. 
It's meta-unstable, and like L1, it's more of a region than a specific spot, thanks to the Earth's elliptical orbit around the Sun and the gravitational interactions from Jupiter and the other planets. For a space telescope, the three brightest objects in the sky are the Sun, the Earth, and the Moon. By positioning at L2, you're able to keep them all together in one tiny region, giving you a view to the entire universe with minimum interference. As Carl Sagan said, that's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. It's fine, I guess. I just don't need that in my telescope. I think that's what he said. The first spacecraft to ever travel to Sun-Earth L2 was NASA's Wilkinson Microwave Anisotropy Probe, or WMAP, launched on June 30th, 2001. It flew to the L2 point and then spent almost a decade mapping out the cosmic microwave background radiation, the afterglow from the Big Bang that we can see in all directions in the sky. WMAP provided astronomers with the most precise measurements of the temperature of this background, allowing them to better estimate the age of the universe as well as calculate the amounts of dark matter and dark energy that make up the cosmos. By 2010, WMAP had run out of fuel to keep itself positioned in the L2 point, and the mission was ended. It's now orbiting around the Sun, slowly getting farther and farther away from the Earth in its own heliocentric orbit. The next spacecraft to go to L2 was NASA's WIND spacecraft. This spacecraft is currently located at the L1 point, constantly observing how the Sun's solar wind interacts with the Earth's magnetosphere. But after launch, the spacecraft first flew out to the L2 point in 2003, where it studied the magnetosphere at the far side of the Earth, before returning to Earth and then flying out to the L1 to study at this angle. Next came the European Space Agency's Herschel Space Observatory. This was a 3.5 meter diameter infrared telescope launched in May 2009. It was actually the largest primary mirror ever launched into space, four times bigger than any previous infrared telescope and 1.5 times even bigger than Hubble. Using its infrared instruments cooled down to almost absolute zero, Herschel was able to peer through the dust and gas that surround newly forming stars, watching the conditions where new planets can form. Herschel was able to look farther out into space and further back in time than any other infrared observatory, seeing how galaxies formed in the early universe. Herschel ran out of fuel in 2013. The mission was wrapped up and the spacecraft joined WMAP, orbiting the sun forever. Then came ESA's Planck Space Observatory, the successor to WMAP, making even more detailed observations of the cosmic microwave background radiation. Launched in May 2009, Planck arrived in July and began producing a survey of the entire sky in microwaves. The full survey of the sky was released in 2013, giving astronomers an even more detailed measurement about the background temperature of the universe, refining their estimates about its age, amounts of dark matter and energy, and mapping out the polarization of light. The mission wrapped up in 2013, and the spacecraft was shut down, drifting away from L2 into heliocentric orbit. One of my absolute favorites is ESA's Gaia mission, and we've done a whole episode on this amazing telescope and its task of mapping out more than a billion stars in the Milky Way. 
The spacecraft was launched in 2013 and will continue mapping out the Milky Way until 2022. By the end, it'll have created a 3D map of the Milky Way, charting out the positions and movements of more than 1% of the stars of our galaxy, as well as finding asteroids, extrasolar planets, and exotic objects like white dwarfs and neutron stars. I promise there'll be many more updates from Gaia over the coming years. The most recently launched mission to L2 was Russia and Germany's SPECTRE-RG, which took off in July 2019. This is an X-ray observatory designed to map out the high energy regions of the universe. It should be able to detect new galaxy clusters because of the hot gas generated by galaxy mergers, as well as finding new supermassive black holes. We've talked about boring L3, the history of Sun-Earth L2. We're going to shift our gaze to the Earth-Moon L2 point, as well as the future missions planned out for all these regions. But I need to give you a trigger warning. We're going to talk about James Webb, so do whatever you need to do to deal with your anxiety. But before then, I'd like to thank Paul Chalice, Johannes, John C.G., Ruman Rumanov, and the rest of our 802 patrons for their generous support. Educational content should be freely available to anyone in the world. The patrons make this possible. Join our community at patreon.com universe today and get in on the action. What does the future hold for the Sun-Earth L2 Lagrange point? More space telescopes. Good news! NASA's James Webb Space Telescope was finally assembled just a week ago, with engineers bringing all the major pieces together into the full telescope. Due for launch in 2021. And yes, I think that date is probably pretty accurate at this point, but feel free to replace it with whatever sounds most hilarious in your mind. NASA did an independent, in-depth analysis of the progress of James Webb in 2018, looking over Northrop Grumman's work and set this launch date. When James Webb does fly, it'll deploy a tennis court-sized multi-layered sunshade that blocks the light from the sun and earth, allowing it to cool its instruments down to almost absolute zero. Then it'll use its enormous 6.5 meter beryllium primary mirror coated in gold to observe the universe in the infrared spectrum. It will be able to look out right to the edge of the observable universe, seeing the first stars and galaxies that formed after the Big Bang, and watch as they come together in larger and larger structures. It'll see through the dust and gas that shrouds newly forming stars to reveal protoplanetary systems and it'll be able to directly observe the atmospheres of extrasolar planets, helping us understand what conditions are like on other worlds and if they could be habitable. Because James Webb is flying to L2, the clock is ticking. It'll only be able to make observations for about a decade before it runs out of propellant and drifts out of L2, joining the previous spacecraft in the heliocentric orbital graveyard. Engineers did install a docking ring on James Webb, so who knows? Maybe they'll send up a mission to give it a longer lifetime. Right after James Webb comes ESA's Euclid, due for launch in 2022, a visible and near-infrared telescope going to the L2 point. Euclid will look out into the universe, mapping the speed that galaxies are moving away from us to a distance of about 10 billion years in the past. From these observations, astronomers will be able to create a more precise calculation about how fast the expansion of the universe is accelerating thanks to dark energy. 
Then comes W first, another infrared telescope. Unlike James Webb, with its narrow field of view, W first is a wide field telescope observing huge regions of the sky to map out dark energy. It will also continue the work started by NASA's Kepler Space Telescope to find extrasolar planets. It'll use gravitational microlensing to find new planets, watching how the light changes as stars pass in front of each other, revealing planets in the signal. It'll also directly observe planets, blocking the light from the star with its onboard coronagraph. The White House has tried to cancel W first every year, and Congress has funded it every year, so no guarantees it'll ever fly. ESA has even more missions they're planning to L2 over the next decade. There's the Planetary Transits and Oscillations of Stars, or PLATO, which will directly observe terrestrial planets in the habitable zone of sun-like stars, and I go into more depth on this mission in another video. The Atmospheric Remote Sensing Infrared Exoplanet Large Survey, or Aerial, will also go to L2 and use this spot to observe 1,000 known exoplanets using the transit method, as well as studying their atmospheres and chemical composition. And it might be bringing along a smaller comet interceptor mission that would loiter around in the L2 point, waiting for a long-period comet or interstellar object to fly out and intercept. Another is the Advanced Telescope for High Energy Astrophysics, or Athena. This will be an X-ray observatory designed to scan the skies for the high energy radiation blasting out from galaxy collisions, supermassive black holes, and exotic objects like neutron stars. It'll have 100 times the sensitivity of the most powerful X-ray observatories launched already. L2 is going to be a busy place, and I'm really just scratching the surface. Before we wrap up this episode, let's shift over to the Earth-Moon L2 Lagrange point. This is the spot that's about 15% farther than the distance from the Earth to the Moon. There aren't a lot of uses for this spot, but the Chinese Space Agency used it as part of their Chang'e 4 mission to the Moon in 2019. The lander and rover were sent to the far side of the Moon near the Southern Pole, which means that they couldn't communicate directly with the Earth. China launched the Chichou satellite in 2018 to the Earth-Moon L2 point to communicate with the Chang'e 4 mission, relaying their scientific data back to Earth. But the most studied purpose of the L2 point would be as the location for human missions to the Moon and deeper into the solar system. The L2 point is at a spot that's nearly out of the Earth's gravity well, where you can travel to other regions in the solar system with a very small change in velocity. This was originally considered to be the location of NASA's upcoming Deep Space Gateway, but it was revised to a halo orbit that brings it closer and farther from the Moon. A space station at L2 could serve as an exploration platform for astronauts to travel down to the far side of the Moon, as well as operate rovers remotely, especially the South Pole Aitken Basin, which seems to contain vast amounts of water ice. An astronaut operating a rover from L2 could drive twice as fast as someone controlling it from Earth through a relay satellite. Sun-Earth L2 is the perfect location to put an infrared telescope, as it can remain colder and farther from the Sun. And it's easy to keep the annoying Sun, Earth, and Moon all in one tiny location in the sky, so you can contemplate the rest of the universe. Earth-Moon L2 is great for communicating and exploring the far side of the Moon, as well as a jumping-off point into the rest of the solar system.
In our next episode, we'll look at L4 and L5, the stable spots that share orbits with various worlds. What do you think? L2 is such a useful spot, and I'm sure I was only able to talk about a fraction of the cool missions that could use these spaces. Did I miss any? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Here are the names of the patrons who support us at the $10 level and more. Want to see your name here and support the work we do? Go to patreon.com universe today. Once a week, I gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter and I send it out. It's got pictures, brief highlights about the story, and links so you can find out more. Go to universetoday.com newsletter to sign up. Did you know that all of my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format? So you can have the latest episodes as well as special bonus material like interviews with me show up right on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com audio or search for Universe Today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And now here will be a link to the last episode in the series when we put it live in a couple of days.